This episode of The Homilist is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri has been focused on the same mission for over 75 years, to train men and women for Christian service. Ozark's Bible Foundation, Christian Community, Global Outreach, and Affordable Cost prepare students to serve in whatever kingdom assignment God has for them. With residential and online degrees, Ozark sends out workers into the harvest field, with 15,000 alumni serving in all 50 states and in 100 countries around the world. Ozark is also glad to offer next-level resources, free videos and webinars for you and your church, led by Ozark professors like Michael DeFazio, Shane J. Wood, and Mark Scott. Next-level resources cover topics like how to read your Bible, the parables of Jesus, and exploring the Enneagram, and much more. Find next-level resources at no cost at occ.edu forward slash next level. And find out more about Ozark Christian College at occ.edu. Welcome back to the Homilist Podcast. You made it back for another episode. Go ahead, give yourself a high five. We have a really cool interview today. It is Dave Stone. He was the preaching minister at Southeast Christian Church for 13 years, but was on staff for 30 years. Dave is very transparent in this conversation. We talk a lot about comedy. We talk a lot about structure. Uh, It's an incredible interview. Unfortunately, Somewhere in the process, this file got corrupted, and I lost the tail end of the conversation. So my apologies to you. My apologies to Dave. I dropped the ball. Dadgummit. Dropped the ball. But it's okay. What we have is excellent. So enjoy this conversation with Dave Stone. Dave Stone, welcome to the Homilist Podcast. Hey, thanks, Jared. It's great to be with you all. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this. Uh, I think the first contact I made with with your assistant was like six months ago, and they were like, "Look, there's a lot going on at Southeast right now, and you're gonna have to wait in line." And so it was it was really cool. So it was great to finally connect with you. That's awesome. Well, I knew that uh, that there'd be a little bit more freedom with my schedule if we if we waited a few months. And you were you were very patient, and I'm glad we got it. <laughs> I'm glad we got it on the calendar a long time ago so we could we could protect it. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. Well, it was funny. I I told your assistant, I said, I got so excited about when I got the email. Yes, this date will work. This time will work. I was like, perfect. This is going to be great. I put it in my calendar, and I never responded to her. So then I responded to her like a couple weeks. I was like, I'm I put it in my calendar. Like I'm set up for it. I forgot to respond. I'm so sorry. She's like, no, it's fine. I'm like, okay. No, so, no, uh, we had it. We had it down. I, you know, I, I love when, whenever we get a chance to talk about preaching because yeah. uh, uh, there's there's so many people who have leaned into my life and have that passion on preaching. And uh, I love the fact that you've got a, a podcast that encourages a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. It's been cool. I don't know if you've seen any of the, the guests from the first season or not. Yeah. Uh, but good gracious i mean just the stuff that and 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 season two season two is already like already cached and and ready to upload and i mean they're just incredible interviews like if i don't become a better preacher on a regular basis after doing this like i need to i need to go do something else with my life (laughs) yeah so um so this is kind of a uh, new season for you isn't it it is. It started uh, just a couple of weeks ago, um, and I turned everything over to Kyle Eidelman uh, back in March, and then 
I had my my farewell and swan song uh, just a few weeks ago, and uh, I still I'm still in my office trying to empty it out and get stuff out of it and um, work work on some finishing projects that I have. But uh, it's a new season, it's a good season, and uh, I'm excited to see what God's got in store. Yeah, well, I, I I looked everywhere, I scoured, I mean like deep search, scoured the internet for the Dave Stone roast, and I couldn't find it anywhere. So I don't I don't know where that exists, but I, I would have I loved to. I just got a copy of it yesterday. And <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't know if they're going to make it public or not. They said well, we're going to we're going to tweak a couple of different comments. I'm like, oh no, don't worry about that. So I don't know if they're going to put those things on. But I will say this, Kyle Eidelman does know how to roast a person wow the others were nicer and he got up there and said guys come on we got four or five days to say nice things about him let's let's go for the jugular and <laughs> and he did and i was i was quite quite proud of him for that too that's cool well there's something really there's something really cool about the camaraderie between guys when they work together for years and years and years you know uh it, it goes beyond i mean it goes beyond friendship it goes beyond i mean it, it moves into the realm of of brotherhood, of family, of you know, almost almost a part of yourself is connected to you know this person. You know, there's just, I mean, that much history. And the the upside of that is there's that much support. The downside of that is they know every single thing about <laughs> you. You know. Well, I had that relationship with Bob Russell uh, for 17 years of working together. In fact, we're playing golf uh, together tomorrow for the first time in a long time. And I uh, had that same relationship with Kyle for uh, the past 16 years here at Southeast. And uh, there's, you know, I was telling my wife, we team teach a couple times a year, sometimes at Easter, sometimes on a baptism weekend, could be, you know, a special occasion, Father's Day, something like that. But there's something that happens when you can finish the guy's sentence and and you, there are things that occur in the life of preaching where you know what the other guy's thinking and uh, they don't have to say a word. All they do is just glance at you. I'll give you an example. We were, we were preaching at an Easter service uh, a few years ago, team teaching. And a, a gal was, gave us an amen from the front, which we don't get a whole lot of amens, Jared. So we're, you know, uh, that was exciting in itself that someone said amen, but it was while she was in the middle of a yawn. <laughs> so it was a yawning amen so it sounded like this amen <laughs> and well one of us looked at the other uh, uh, uh we couldn't look at each other right then or we would have burst out laughing but we dared to look at each other about you know a minute later and we both started to crack a smile and we went right back to looking back at, at the audience and it wasn't until real late that night that we remembered it. And one of us texted the other one and said, hey, did I imagine this or did this really happen? Did we get a yawning amen, which I don't even know if it counteracts or what happens when uh, is that good? Is that bad? Is it neutral? So uh, well, we started texting furiously and feverishly saying, unbelievable. I've never experienced that in my life. But those are the little moments that come yeah. where, where there's special ones just for the two of you, and you know if one of you breaks and cracks a smile, then you're both goners. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. Well, this this guy that I work with, Luke, Dave's boy, um, 
yeah. he and he and I have been he and I have been together in school um, since we were in uh, grade school and wow. in the same church and we went to the same high school. Then we went to two uh, two of the same colleges together. Uh, in fact, we we uh, we interviewed at a church together uh, one time as a as a team. And what's great is that they didn't they didn't know that we were coming as a team, which made it even. And by the time we left, they were like, "We want to hire both of you. Like you are you two together are really like this is an incredible match." Like, and we yep. didn't take the we didn't take the job, but and this is the second church that we have worked in together. Um, the one awesome. in, I mean, and so when you say that, it's like I, I know good and well all the bases that he is going to be able to cover for me. And he does not want to be on the platform. He does not want to be the upfront guy. He he's, he says, look, here's the deal. You're the face of the franchise. All right. I just keep the lights on, you know, like this. <laughs> so it's a it's a really it's a really good, really good relationship. Really good relationship. That's really cool. I didn't. uh I didn't I didn't think about I've listened to several of your sermons and most recently when you talk about your relationship with Kyle mm. and and how you guys how you guys have been together. But I wasn't aware of, of you and Bob's relationship being as tight as it was, although I did listen to him speak at um, in Indianapolis at the I'm not going to remember the name of it, uh, the preaching summit, preaching summit, yes. uh-huh. uh, the preaching summit. I listened to him. And uh, he spoke on legacy. He was talking about the legacy. And what he did talk about was the transition period between when he when he was there and was getting ready to leave and you coming in. And that was a bit of history. That was a bit of history that I wasn't aware of. And, man, to hear him talk through that and his respect for you um, and the gifts that, that he saw in you and, and the comfort that he had. I remember one of the stories he said, uh, a group of guys took me out. Took me out uh, to go play golf, and and he said it ended up being an intervention. He said, and they said, listen, listen, we think you probably still have a few years left. You know, you could you could keep doing this. And he was just like, look, we have been doing this. We are what three years into our five year or five years into this transition period. This is already happening. There's absolutely nothing I can do about it. I'm not doing anything about it. I don't want to do anything about it. Dave's the right guy. It was just a really cool, just a really cool. Uh, uh, conversation, you know, to hear him talk about that. That was pretty awesome. Uh, he was, he was, and is as loyal as they come. And, uh, that's at the heart of any healthy transition is, uh, humility of the outgoing person and confidence in the, in the person that's taking over. But you got to both have that loyalty mm. and love where you'll always take the high road. And, yeah. and he's had that and Kyle's had that and we've been blessed. Yeah. Is that a uh, is that a is it a difficult transition? I mean, personally, at times, I mean, to, uh, as far as identity goes and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's early in the process for me. But, yes, it it, it is. And I think uh, it's not a tough transition from my standpoint, from the church perspective, right. because right. I, I'm the one who chose my own date uh, of when I wanted to leave. I knew that Kyle would be ready in 2019 sometime. And uh, I knew it was the healthiest thing for the church. The greatest way to affect the overall age of a congregation is through the age of the senior pastor. Mm-hmm. And so I I saw this as, as the right timing. Now, does it mess with a guy's identity? You know, I mean, we're, we were at the park last night walking, and 
met a, met a girl that was new to the area. She started walking with us, just struck up a conversation, and um, we got talking about churches. And she said, you know of a good church I could visit? And my wife is saying, to, but I can't tell you, Jared, how awkward it is then. Um, you know, we didn't bring up anything about me. It came out when some people kept stopping and saying something to me, and it kind of uh, forced our hand on it. But uh, it was weird because I was saying everything in the we sense, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we do this. We do, yeah, you know, uh, we've got a sermon series coming in July. Well, no, we we don't, you mm. know. Uh, we do in the collective sense. See, I get tears in my eyes just thinking about it. It's just, yeah. ah, it's it's really tough for me to, when you said we for 30 years, um, <laughs> to all of a sudden, in two weeks' time, flip a switch and try to change your terminology. But I am so excited about this church. That's where the we comes from. Yeah. It's It's from, I'm a member of this church. I believe in Kyle. He is Awesome. My my wife right now this morning took her three books of uh, of Kyle Eidelman's in a Chick-fil-A gift card because we want her to get acquainted with with Kyle and his his writing and his preaching. So, um, you know, yes, identity wise, I think the male ego, uh, we get so much of our worth and value from what we do. And I've always had this struggle with uh, being rather than doing. And so I know that God's got me on this journey to teach me. It doesn't matter what you're doing in ministry, uh, what size the ministry is, how many people it affects. You know, my calling is to be faithful to him, uh, to be faithful when I step into a pulpit, wherever that might be, to preach and uh, to make certain that I'm correctly handling the word of truth. Wow. <clears throat> well, thanks for sharing that. That is a uh, that is a. That is a big deal. Um, that's I can't I can't imagine the I can't imagine a transition when you're in a place for 30 years and then, you know, you step out. You know, we you've probably heard this before. One of the things that you really look for in a in a church in somebody's transition as they begin to kind of embed themselves into into church life is they go from saying your church, you know, like they do at your church. And mm -hmm. then they say at church and then they go from at church to my church mm -hmm. you know, or we. And there's this strange thing that happens, I think, on the backside of that to where we for the first time get to stand over there and say we like they say we, you know. Yeah. Now yeah. we are there, not we as in the staff, the elders. Right. We as in members of the body of Christ. Uh, this is the church that we uh, affiliate with. And you're you're exactly right. And. That's a fun transition to see with a person when they uh, are far away from Christ and then they find Christ through the interaction and the fellowship of that particular uh, body. But, uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm trying to become more kingdom minded and uh, less ethnocentric on, you know, oh, this is the, the greatest church in the world. Uh, I believe that God placed me at Southeast, and I, I do believe it's it's the greatest church. But just to see God's doing great things in a lot of other places. And yeah. he's put me in some other really cool churches where I can see God at work. Mm. And uh, that's really exciting. Yeah. Do you have some uh, do you have some some tentative plans for for what you're going to you're going to go do next? 
Well, I'm um, I'm filled up for the rest of, of this year. I, I agreed to uh, preach at Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago uh, twice a month for the rest of this year. So um, I've been there three times already this year, and then in June I started. So my last weekend in Southeast was the last of May. Next two two weekends I was at Harvest Bible. Uh, they're without a preacher right now, and all I'm trying to do is just encourage their staff and uh, provide some stability in, in the pulpit. So I, I made a commitment through December. Um, I like getting to preach more times than once at a place because you start to feel like mm-hmm. you don't have to tell opening jokes for five minutes to win people over and then and then do your sermon. I like the fact that there's you know some regularity. Uh, I think I'm at uh, CCV in uh, Phoenix. Six times this year, I'm at Harvest um, 16 or 17 times this year. And um, so I I like having a place where I can go several times and uh, where you feel like you actually understand the people. You can help advance their mission. And so some things like that that have been fun. So Yeah. Yeah. Christ Church of the Valley, correct? Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. Have you have you seen some of Mark Moore's new material, the Core Core Fifty Two? I have not, but I, I I saw a tweet recently from Ashley, and I actually listened to two of Mark's sermons uh, yesterday. And uh, man, he, he consistently he and Ashley consistently they they knock it out of the park. And yeah. uh, I'm gonna be anxious to see this new material. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it's uh seems like it's a, a really good a really good. Uh, uh, resource for churches, and and I think what's so cool about that material, and I, and I haven't I haven't dove into it, but uh, what seems so relevant about it is that it it really it really does play to short attention span, and um, it it kind of right absolutely it's me as That's well me. you know short attention span and you know easily accessible, uh, and it's the it's the well it's the core the core pieces, mm-hmm. and I. I think that's really I think it's really cool. We're gonna we're gonna try to get our hands on it and introduce it over here at, at yeah. our place as well. So hey, tell me what's it uh what's it what's it like? What's it like working alongside somebody um like like Bob Russell for how long were you we we with Bob was six years. Yeah. And then with Kyle on the other side, like it seems as if the emphasis of Southeast has really been the preaching aspect. Like that has been the hard push. For you guys, um, when you get together to have conversations about planning sermons, planning sermon series, uh, are those some pretty goldmine meetings? Having those you three in one room? Yeah, there was a there was a stretch where all three of us were together for a three year uh, period, and we had, uh, I'll say this slowly, a transgenerational preaching team, and. Um, it was, I think at one time, Bob was 62, I was 44, and uh, Kyle was uh, 27, something like that. Um, and so it was very, very unique. You had one guy who was starting out with kids, one guy whose kids were in high school and middle school, and then you had one who was in the grandparenting stage. Mm-hmm. And so it was very un- unusual. But uh, 
go back to your question. There's something exciting that comes. There's a synergy that comes when you when you have sermon planning uh, meetings, when you have brainstorming on a particular sermon, or you're working on a, a holiday message, Christmas or Easter or something like that. And one of the things that I learned is you don't you don't have to have a Bob Russell. You you can you don't have to have a Kyle Eidelman. There are people in 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 your church that that uh, do sales presentations or a retired ordained pastor. And it's just as as simple as saying, I'm going to send you my manuscript or I'm going to send you my thoughts on a Friday. Would you look over those? And then you get this iron sharpens Mm -hmm. iron and Kyle will say, you know, Hey, here's a paragraph that you could use, or um, you've already made that point. uh, And I know you've got more material than you said you need. So in, instead of, of telling that other personal story, maybe you're going to uh, just use that one that you told in the first point, and you're just going to refer back to that in your third point. You don't need to tell that another story. Uh, so you get this different sets of eyes. Yeah. Um, everyone I've ever talked to sees incredible value in that critique or just having another set of eyes. Every Friday night uh, or about 1 o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning, I, I email my sermon to three different people, and they they read through it. One is a friend of mine in Maryland, uh, Carl Cool. Another is a gal on our staff, Ashley Weiss, uh, and then Kyle. I send it to Kyle, and I get all sorts of comments that come come back from them. And you look for solidarity, you look for unity in some of the things that they say, oh, cut this or keep this or don't even think about losing this, but you really need to think about losing that, you know. And so you look for those patterns, but one of the things I learned from Bob Russell, the best way to improve your preaching is to write more stuff than you need and then to spend that last day slicing and dicing. So you, it's not like 16 ounces of ground beef. Instead, it becomes a six-ounce you know, a fillet that has had the fats, you know, trimmed off and it's lean and mean. And it's uh, it's the very best possible thing that you can put out there, because my experience has been that uh, I can throw out a lot of ground beef and I can keep on talking or I can try to to get it down to where it's a, uh, something that's a little tighter. My dad used to say, I've never had a person complain about a short sermon. And uh, I think he's he's right, because you want them wanting more and you want to feed that to where they want to dig into God's word throughout the week to, to continue the discussion. Mm, Yeah, that's good. That's real good. The, um, the conversation I had with Dave Erickson was very similar. He said, I've been meeting with guys for, you know, when I was, when he was in, uh, when he was in a preaching role, which I think he's a teaching minister at this point at a, at a church. When he said, when I was in a preaching role, I, I had a guy that I a couple of guys that I met with other ministers and we talked about we talked about the same passages of scripture we preached through the mm-hmm. same passage of scripture mm-hmm. and we discussed it and he said I would encourage anybody to do that so after that conversation I called a guy here locally who I really admire and <clears throat> excuse me and I said hey you want to get together and he's a bivocational guy but he's a brain and he's a sweetheart of a guy just a pastoral just beating yeah. heart you know and we sat down, and I'm not kidding you, from the very first meeting, he said, so where are you planning on going? I'm like, oh, I'm thinking I'm going to preach through you know, judges. And he was like, well, have you considered this? Have you considered this? And he's been in ministry for years, you know. And, I mean, I've been preaching probably uh, eight years, nine years, 
uh, here at this church. And he, I mean, immediately took me to the deep end of the pool on things that I would have never thought, just from the reservoir of years and years and years of ministry and his perspective. And you're 100% right that it doesn't necessarily have to be a Bob Russell, you know, or, I mean, Mm -hmm. or a a minister at that point. I mean, it can be anybody who has a different set of eyes and who can sit and do that. The perspective perspective is, uh, a different perspective is really great, really great on that. Sometimes I will send uh, a manuscript to one of our elders who, was a business leader, but he understands people and he understands the way, let's say I'm, I've got a controversial section or I've got mm-hmm. a section that, uh, you know, I'm really laboring over because of, of the, the nature of it or the topic or something going on in our culture. I'll send it to two different elders. I'll have them, them take a look at it. But there's a value in sending to guys, to gals. To um, I remember doing a sermon on prejudice and I, and I, I sent the message ahead of time to people of, of some some minority backgrounds. And I said, will you see if I've got a blind spot to anything? Mm. And, you know, it was, it was really helpful. Years ago, I, I wrote a book. Oh, man, it's called Refining Your Style. And it kind of reminds me of what you're doing uh, with the homilist with just interviewing different people. Because what I did was I, I interviewed 13 who I thought were the best Christian communicators. And it was all about your style and how, how God has given you a style. And I gave 13 different styles. And so I asked this question of everybody, you know, who reads over your sermon? Mm-hmm. Every single person had somebody that, that looked over their sermon except for one. And that was Franklin Graham. He was the only guy that I didn't interview face to face. And I interviewed him over the, over the telephone and uh, I said, so, uh, so Franklin, who, who sees your manuscripts? And there's this long pause. And he said, no, nobody sees my manuscript. And I said, well, do you send it to other people? You know, like Lee Strobel, he sends it to this, this person. And uh, Max Lucado sends it to this. And Chuck Colson will have this person. I said, who, who do you send yours to? He said, why in the world would I send my sermon to someone else to get their opinion on it? The Holy Spirit told me to say it, not them. I'm like, okay, next question. (laughs) Are you or someone you know wanting to make a difference with your life, but you're not sure where to start? At Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, they help students discover the kingdom assignment that God has for them and then train them to carry it out. Ozark prepares students for all kinds of Christian service, biblical communication, biblical justice, youth and children's ministry, counseling, missions, organizational leadership, worship and creative arts, and much more. Ozark's close community, Bible Foundation, and commitment to service prepares students to take the gospel to every corner of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. And Ozark's affordable tuition offers a quality private Christian education at a public university price. Ozark Christian College, your mission is out there. Your training starts here. So I learned learned from that that, (laughs) you know, Bob Russell says that the preaching is is your personality coming out mixed with truth, and um, that's his personality. He's like that would be asinine for me to ask someone else um, about my sermon, what to keep and what to cut, when God's laid it on my heart. You know, so that was his his take on it, um, and that's fine. That's that's how. God has wired him, and God's blessed him in a great way. Obviously, right. uh, 
Uh, but I need all the help I can get. And yeah. I'm going to freely <clears throat> admit that if if somebody reading over my sermon can help it improve just that much, then it's worth it to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how long did it take you to uh, to localize, to kind of uh, find your style, your voice when it came to preaching? Is that a that a that a long is that a long game? Yeah, it, it it was for me. I don't know if it was longer than most or shorter than most, <laughs> but you know when you when you go to a Bible college and you have different people coming in to speak at chapel, and uh, of course we didn't have podcasts or things like that. We had cassette tapes that we would collective different people from conferences and we would listen to them on our cassette players but you know nowadays that take that on steroids with podcasts and uh just on itunes being able to hear people or just going to a website um i think the danger is you hear a person that person is charismatic or they're in your bent and you try to be like that person Mm-hmm. And then the next person comes and, um, you know, there's an f- old phrase, try to follow the green in your own wood. And, and you know, uh, there's another quote that says, uh, God made us all originals and yet we spend most of our lives trying to be copies. And what I've learned is I just need to be myself. Uh, let me give you a quick example. When I came to Southeast, I I saw every assistant that got up to do a communion meditation or to speak on a Sunday night, their uh, cadence, everything started to imitate Bob Russell. Yeah. And, you know, I actually made fun of it some and said, you know, I'll listen to everybody is trying to sound like Bob. Well, the longer I stayed there, Jared, after a couple <laughs> of years, I realized I was starting to do it myself. Right. And, it, you know, imitation is the highest form of flattery. And uh, Bob Russell <laughs> set me down one day and he said, we, we don't need another Bob Russell here. Hmm. He said, we need a Dave Stone. He said, God has given you gifts that he has not given me. God has given you a different style than what he's given me. You be yourself. And that's when everything changed. And so it was funny when he would critique my sermons and read through them. We got in this habit of critiquing each other after the first hour on Saturday night. And so it was fresh. We'd go back in the room. We'd sit down. We'd critique each other. And um, he would say things like this. He'd say, now, you, you've got a joke here. I don't know if you need that joke. And I I would say, oh, I, I, I need it. It's not there for them. It's there for me because I've got a short attention span and I need something just to look forward to. And when I see that page coming <laughs> – Oh, good. I'm excited. I can stay awake another minute. Right. So for years, then when he would critique me, I would hear him say, well, you know, I don't I don't know if you need that there. I, I understand if, it, if you need it for you. And he just <laughs> he let me be me. You know, you do you. So. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, more that's, than you need to know. But. No, that's excellent. Yeah, that's excellent. Have you considered uh, have you considered going back and doing doing something similar? On the communication side, on the communication side, like 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 the book, have you considered going back and comparing some of those some of those notes again? Some of the speakers that are out that are really knocking it out. So I've I've got two people that are really pushing me to to do that book again and to do it with all new faces that people would relate to, you know, right now. Um, and you know, so that's something that. 
is a possible future project in this next next year or two. Uh, and I've got some people who have volunteered to say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll help you with it. And we've got a list of some potential names of, uh, of different, different people. But, you know, the styles don't change. Just the only thing that changes is the personalities in, in that decade. And uh, I think it was preaching book of the year in 2004 or 2005. I can't remember what year that book came out. So it's been a long time. And there are fresh faces. There are people that people would relate to nowadays that uh, and yet the 13 styles are still evident and yeah. you have to wear two or three of those uh you know through the course of every year and uh you have a main style that you have and that's your sweet spot mm-hmm. and when jared preaches in this style your church says oh there's nobody better than when when jared talks on this topic or he has us take this hill and people can tell when you're in your sweet spot yeah yeah and it takes a little bit of time i mean i mean for I mean, for for listeners i mean developing developing the thing that really that you do you know and you and you you don't want to call it a gimmick or your 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 gig or your gag or any of that but your style your voice your personality how to this is what i do best for me narrative storytelling i mean if i can get a if i can get a plot and get some characters listen we can go for a ride together and you're going to enjoy it. it's going to be great if you start asking me to teach you and walk through something point by point, <laughs> we're both yeah. going to be lost really quick, yeah. you know. I mean, but if you hear Mark Moore teaching mm. and leading through, all of a sudden, you know, he's in his sweet spot, and you sit there, and you you write down, and you capture everything you possibly can. Yeah. But you're right. If you get a storyteller, create a storyteller who takes you on this journey, and you put – time and work into every twist and turn in in your your wording all of a sudden you paint a picture that person's going to remember that on wednesday when they run into you at the post office and they say i can't get this out of my mind because it, i learned more about grace through that story than i ever would from uh from reading three verses yeah um <clears throat> i was in uh i was i was at christian college yeah i don't remember what year it was uh, Mark Moore was preaching the final uh, chapel service before we went home uh, before Christmas, and he was asked to give the Christmas the Christmas chapel service. And he came up and he said, "I really don't want to preach this sermon." Of course, instantly you really want to hear this sermon, you know? Yeah, right. Everybody's leaning in, you know? Like, I really don't want to preach it, but it desperately wants to be preached. And I'm like. Like I'm already sucked in. You yeah. already, I mean, I mean, got me. I mean, got me. And then from that point forward, uh, he, he, I mean, with the hook set deep in my gills, I mean, he drug me through uh, probably one of the most, one of the most amazing uh, life-changing sermons that I've ever listened to. And it was called The God of the Desert. And he just starts off by talking about Christmas. He said, but you know what? A lot of you are not going to ever come back here. You're not going to come back. Some of you are going to drop out. Some of you are going to flunk out. Some of you are going to leave and you're going to go into something else. Some of you, 
you know, and he kind of walks through a little bit, come some other things and talks about trouble and life. And then he, then he gets to this point and he said, but for some of you, you're just stuck. You're just stuck. And you feel like God has drug you out into the desert and that's where you are. And then from that point forward, he had, he had, there's, there's three memorable lines. The opening line, it does, it desperately wants to be preached. And I thought, golly, that's so good. The next line that just hooked me was he was talking about, um, struggling and, and wrestling with God and, and God showing up in your life and, or, or even feeling distant. And he said, but look around, you'll find out that you're not the only prophet wandering in the desert, you know, (laughs) powerful line. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to put that down. Look around. Yeah. Oh, I guess there's another one. Some of you, I don't need to explain the desert to you because you have a snapshot of it in your soul. Wow. So four wow. powerful lines. The last one was he got done and he was talking about he's the God is God is still with you. He's this is a this is a wedding period when the commentators and the old the old theologians, they refer to this time in the desert as a bridal period. Like it, the desert is a bridal period. It's an invitation to a deeper commitment, to a deeper relationship. And and then he gets to the very end and he says, so I want you to take heart. And this has something to do with Christmas. Emmanuel. <laughs> so how many years ago was that, Jared? Gee, many. I graduated in 2004. It must have been 2002, maybe 2003. So 17 17- 16, 17 years ago, never get rid of it. Call out four lines from it. Yeah. But look at this. You can't you can't tell me the title of the message. You probably can't tell me the text of it, although you could get close with a good guess with Luke or Matthew. Right. But you remember four distinct lines that marked you. And it's because he put the time and effort into fine tuning that story and look at how he captured your attention and and pulled you in. I mean, Hook it's me. textbook. I mean, I was sitting beside a guy. I'm sitting beside a guy at school and <laughs> this is a very, very, very intelligent guy. He's a very intelligent guy. Um, and he turns and he looks at me and he says, well, that was about the stupidest sermon I ever heard in my life. And I mean, and we're both looking straight forward, and he just kind of turns and looks at me, and I got my hand here. I am weeping. I mean, I am like, I mean, I'm crying tears just because I'm like, this is so beautiful and brilliant and exactly what I needed to hear. And I turned and looked at him and I said, that might be the greatest message I ever heard. And he was just like, oh. And off you, <laughs> off you went. It was, I was like, I mean, it really did. It really captured me. Yeah, God of the Desert. If you ever come across it, God of the Desert by Mark Moore. Yeah. So the cool thing is, is it once again, for those of you who love to preach or listen and watching this, it, it just shows how God can speak to different people in different ways. And yeah. the Holy Spirit, whatever was going on in your life at that time, that was tailor made for you. Yeah. you know, I love it when I walk across a, a, an atrium after preaching and someone will stop me and they'll say, oh, this that story or that line. And they'll say something about it and say, that was just for me. You were speaking just to me. And they'll give me their take on it. I'm like, oh, man, isn't, isn't the Holy Spirit? That's so cool. I'll walk 20 steps. Someone will come up and say the same line, same story. And then they'll say their takeaway from it, totally different than the other dudes. But they got tears in their eyes and saying that message and that line was just for me. 
Yeah. And it just shows the bigness of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit can grab can grab a person and can speak to their heart directly. Yeah. That John chapter six, that John chapter six passage, there's just the entire chapter. There's so many cool things that happen in there that that have formed so much of my mindset on on preaching and life. I I love the interaction. John six sixty three says something to the effect of the words that I have given you are spirit and they are life. And mm. if you take if you take that back to creation and the idea that God spoke and created and that our job is to speak and create that when we you know people who walk into a room and when they walk into a room and they begin to say things they change the room they change the color of the room they change the dynamic in the room you know they connect people in different ways just because they begin to speak words they're just encouraging. Yeah. People. The next part in that, or in that same chapter, is when Jesus turns and he says, "So are you going to leave me too?" And and Peter's response is just like, "Look, you have screwed me up so bad at this point. <laughs> like, what am I going to go do? Lay carpet? Going to go fish? <laughs> like, I've seen dead people come back. I've like, yeah. what am I? Where am I going? Like, yeah. I still have, I still have chunks of meat." And things that you have said stuck between my teeth like a real good meal. Like, where am I going? Like, you've ruined me. You've ruined me for normal work, you know? And uh, I, think that's, uh, I think that's a message paraphrase of John. Yeah, that's yeah, it, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Obviously, yeah. you have the words of eternal life, you know, <laughs> then where we go. But, but the message paraphrase is the chunks of meat still in my teeth. Absolutely, yes. yeah. I mean, it's just like, where am I where am I going? Where am I going? I can't go anywhere. But I think about that John 6, 63 and, and how – you know, I hear those, you hear those sermons, you hear those, you know, and it's sermons, it's always sermons that, and it's preaching. You know, we have a ton of conversations with people all the time that are dynamic conversations, and they really are good for our life. But there are certain things you've heard in sermons that have a different kind of weight to them. You know, they propel you forward in a completely different kind of way. You know, that's pretty cool to me. That's pretty cool to me. So, who were some of the guys? Who were some of the guys that, uh, as you were as you were coming up into and in school or preaching, and you did some youth ministry stuff too, right? Mm-hmm. I did. I did. Yeah. Who were some of the guys? Who were some of the guys that you you listened to and you really admired? Um, yeah. Well, there was a youth minister, uh, Brewster McLeod. Brewster was at a church in in Cincinnati. Then he went to Southland and was youth minister there for over two decades. And uh, he was a creative genius. And I learned a whole lot about the art of keeping people's attention just through creativity. Um, Wally Rindle, Wayne Smith, uh, Bob Russell, uh, those were mainstays for me. My dad was a preacher as well. And I was always drawn to the ministry because he was the same man at home as he was in the pulpit. And that consistency, Mm. um, you know, knowing that that he wasn't blowing smoke. He was actually who he appeared to be. Uh, that, that drew me to ministry. Um, in more recent years, uh, Rick Atchley preaches in Fort Worth, Texas, he uses a lot of scripture. Uh, and, and he's been really good for me to listen to. Um, I love to listen to Ashley Wooldridge at, at CCV, a guy who, uh, didn't preach for a number of years and his, Moved more in the preaching realm in the last uh, six or seven years. And just to see how well he can capture a topic and substantiate it with scripture and uh, present it in a compelling fashion. Um, 
I've always been spoiled getting to hear Kyle or Bob mm-hmm. Russell. Um, I like to listen to comedians. I like uh, Brian Regan, probably my my favorite. Uh, John Christ is probably my favorite as well. John Christ has his creativity. Uh, I've never seen a person that can. Uh, it's a perfect, you know, example of, of of what humor is all about. I always tell when I when I teach preachers, I talk about how anytime a person laughs, it's because of one of one of three reasons. It's because of, you know, exaggeration. Uh, it's because of truth or because of surprise. Mm. Every time a person laughs, it's one of those three reasons. And, uh, boy, he does such a good job at, at, at the exaggeration. And he pokes fun of, at Christianity in a compelling fashion. And then uh, his, his exaggeration and the truth. And then just, you know, if he's... Picking on the Christian community, lots of times it's just truth, and that's why people double over with laughter. Yeah. I've learned a lot from Brian Regan, uh, Matt Proctor, uh, president at Ozark, uh, spent a year with us here at Southeast, and and he and I had fun evaluating Brian Regan's humor and his word choice, awesome. and how he would, you know, for his zinger, he would choose a word that was longer rather than shorter. Right. And uh, so that's something that I can put into my preaching. I can, when I try to have a zinger, I can choose a word that jumps out more. If I've got this word or that word, I'm going to choose the longer, chunkier word because it's going to make you smile even just saying it, you know. So um, Jesus was a master storyteller. I think he, he crafted that. I don't know if he did a lot of different drafts or manuscripts. I don't know that, but... Uh, he knew how to choose the words that would paint a picture in a person's mind. And and that's what a good comic does as well. They yeah. stand there with a microphone and a bottled water and you are enthralled for X amount of time because of their delivery, their pauses and their word choice. Yeah. Yeah. Are you familiar with Gary Goldman? <clears throat> oh, yes. I've, I've heard him on Sirius XM. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He's got some bits that I really like. Yeah. yeah, Gary Goldman. Gary Goldman is just a genius at at uh, um, it's 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 very it's very very smart humor. You know, it's very smart, quick thinking humor. Uh, he's got a he's got a bit about um, um, he found a twenty dollar bill in an old coat and it changed his plans for the weekend. And he says, "I wonder what it would be like. What would Bill Gates have to find in his pocket for it to change?" <laughs> And so then he then he goes into he goes into breaking down the math on it. Twenty dollars is to me what, you know, 14 million dollars would be to, you know, Find Bill a 14 Gates. million in Bill Gates coat. And he's like, right. Eh. Right. And then he said he said. Uh, and according to and according to ask dot com, 14 million dollars actually weighs, you know, nine hundred and thirty two <laughs> pounds. And he said. And that's just assuming Bill Gates has an old coat, you know, and if he does, it's probably it's probably and this was his phrase. It was probably the death robe, the death robe of the great emancipator, Abraham Lincoln, you know, and that was it was just like there's so much about it that just 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 sparks in your head every single time. Like it just took a different angle. And I mean, just like explosions, fireworks going off, you know, so he's doing exaggeration. He's doing truth. All so the way good. through because that is a reality of what my money compared to his would be. Right. Yeah. Good. Yeah. 
Yeah, real good. Yeah, Gary Goldman. Uh, Tom Papa is another good one. Who's uh, I haven't heard of him. Okay, you, if you if you find it, Tom Papa's he's a really clean. Um, he's got a few little off color, but he's about like Regan or uh, Gary Goldman. Um, but Tom Papa, he's a, he's another really good real good comedian, one that I really admire. And it goes back to that that phrase I remember Mark uh, Scott talking about it in school, making the dog swallow their tail. Uh, the the where you start with a line, you know, comedians are great at it. They start with a line. Brian Regan's story of I'm getting so old that my underwear flap just sometimes flaps down, you know. <laughs> and then he begins it talking about like that's the age I am. I go, I get down and bloop, there it goes, my underwear flap. You know, this is the my, my elastic band. And then he goes on into this story later on about a motorcycle accident that he's or he's riding with his brother-in-law or something on the back of a motorcycle accident. I mean, a motorcycle, and I can't remember if it was a motorcycle or if it was a if it was a uh, another story. But there's a there's an automobile incident of some of some sort. And he said, and we fell out and we rolled over and, and wouldn't you know it, my underwear flap went boop, like that, and he come right back. To it, and it was just like I knew it was coming. Yeah. I knew it was coming. You know, like I didn't know where, but it, there, yeah, just really, really good. Well, and and for the preacher, the the callback that he just that you just shared, when when that's what comedians love to do. If you ever look at their last bit, um, they'll do a callback to something. Oftentimes, it's like we book into sermon, we come back to our introduction. What a comedian does is. He will tell a joke and, and you'll register with that. And then later he'll come back in his conclusion with that one callback when you're not expecting. So he uses a surprise exaggeration, uses two of the three that way. I'm trying to think a few weeks ago, I was uh, I was telling a story. Uh, there's a, actually a study out that that says that uh, if you hug yourself, uh, that it. It uh, dissipates feelings of depression and it can uh, help you enjoy your day more and, and it improves your self-worth. And I'm like, you know, how, how does this help a person feel better when they're feeling bad? You know, so we all kind of laughed about that. And then about eight or ten minutes later, I tell a joke and uh, it doesn't go over real well. And I actually put the joke there because it's kind of mediocre. And so I wait for the response you know, there's not much of a response, and so I go like this, <laughs> and that's all I do, and then the place goes crazy. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Homeless Podcast. I'm so sorry. After listening to that, I'm so sorry I didn't get the tail end of that conversation. I don't know what happened. Hopefully, we can. Uh, hopefully, we can get Dave back on here again sometime. We can. Uh, and finish that we'll finish that talk so thank you for listening to the homeless podcast you want to uh you want to make contact with us you can reach us at the website www.thehomeless.com or you can reach out to us by email at thehomeless at gmail.com all right until next time thanks <laughs>